After a year of running experiments, we realized that successful sellers and marketers didn't have the next greatest playbook. They actually had frameworks, insights, and tests that they ran and refined. Welcome to the B2B Power Hour, where we align go-to-market teams together to win the right business with better experiments. I'm your host, Nicholas Dickett, and I'm a seller. And I'm your other host, Morgan Smith, and I'm a marketer. Join us for live shows and interviews that will help you learn what to test so you can sell and market better to your customers and prospects. Now, on to today's episode. Today, we're exploring the core ingredients of good research as a seller with Jordan Crawford. Jordan is the founder at Blueprint and is, without a doubt, one of the best voices today talking about pain-based prospecting, how to use AI, tech to do this, and so much more, just like good thinking. So let's dive on in. Jordan, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thanks for having me again, Morgan. Appreciate it. Yeah, what is this, your third time, I think? So should I say welcome back? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, there's like SNL has this where X times hosting the show. So what's the like, who's on the leaderboard? I think it'll have to be, we'll do the five timers club, like like SNL. Okay. When, whenever cool you get jacket? to the, your, what do I, yeah, I think we'll do like a, a cool cigar jacket of some kind. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Okay, great. I have to get into like something way different. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I pr- you promised here. You promised. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for being here. If people haven't followed you yet, one of the most important things I think that you cover is the ways sellers need to think about research and then the ways sellers need to do the research. Because, you know, anymore it feels, and I'm sure you see this a lot with the sales teams you work with and the go-to-market teams you work with, it feels a lot of uh, sales today is just plug and play. It's like, oh, we have this list of emails. Let's go test this message and see if it works. And I know you and I come from similar schools of thought that that's just not the way to do it anymore. Maybe it worked once upon a time, but it certainly isn't working to the degree it once did. So I'm really excited to dive into research with you today and targeting as a function, especially of that research. Yeah. And I think let's kind of acknowledge where a lot of this comes from, which is the VC ecosystem that says grow now or die. And people take that so literally that they mean now, not soon. (laughs) And if you take it literally as in grow this very second, you start panicking and you then run your business, especially your sales motion in a panicky way, which is like, just like throw as much spaghetti in as much places as possible. And so I kind of wanted to start this conversation before we get into the targeting, which we will do before we get into the messaging, which we will do. And just sort of start with this toothbrush analogy here and ask you, Morgan, if you had to sell a toothbrush, how would you sell it? You had to write a cold email selling a toothbrush. If I had to write a cold email selling a toothbrush? Yeah. Like, what would I write the email or how would I start selling it? Yeah, just like, tell me the cold email that you would write if you had to go sell a cold. That's a good question. Put me on the spot. Well, I'd probably find people who need a toothbrush. So I'd probably need to (laughs) write something about better dental care or fighting a disease. Or, hey, your dentist probably said this recently, or have you heard this from a dentist? I'm sort of riffing on some concepts. Yeah. And then here's why that matters. Like, you don't want to get gingivitis or whatever. Okay, so great. Now, this makes a lot of sense. This is how most people would approach this problem. Now, let me tell you about my toothbrush. My toothbrush is, it's pink. It has very strong bristles, and it's a little longer than most toothbrushes. 
How do you think that would change what you would say? <laughs> I mean, for me, probably not, but I think I know, I think I know where you're going with this analogy. It's a, but I don't know. I don't know if that would change the way that I would sell the toothbrush. Okay. This is also the challenge. And this is what we do when we onboard a new SDR. We give them speeds and feeds and we tell them a product that they think they know, right? And now let me give you some additional information. A customer came to me and said, I bought your pink toothbrush because when my wife sees my pink toothbrush, she never uses it because she hates that color. Another customer came to me and said, you know what? I have very large hands and I can't hold the whole toothbrush. Like all those handles are way too small. Another person came to me and said, you know what? I actually love the strength of the bristles because I use it to clean my tongue because most bad breath comes from my tongue. I don't know if you knew that. Well, you just have vastly different information than you did at the start of this conversation. So different. And so now you're like, well, shit, I need to look for people that care about their breath. Or I need to look for like Shaquille O'Neal's, like who have just like basket. I need to look at basketball players, right? Or I need to look at feuding spouses, maybe. I don't know what, what the, <laughs> yeah, maybe that's like the last place my analogy breaks down. But so suddenly you aren't selling the bristles. You aren't selling what the dentists say. You're selling the job to be done. And you cannot reason your way out of that information, right? There's nothing that you could have said, Morgan, where you would have got that targeting right, that messaging right in a million years. And so the problem is that um, when we throw spaghetti at the wall, we are not throwing at the wall, we're throwing it into the universe. And that's the better analogy, which is like, where the fuck is the wall? <laughs> it's like, well, eventually when you die, that spaghetti like may hit Pluto, there's no life there or you're throwing spaghetti in the Andromeda galaxy and like, Oh, you're so close. Yeah. I have this image of like a spiraling noodle through space. It's very funny <laughs> yeah. to me. Yeah. But that yeah, is exactly. how most outbound feels, right? Like where it's just, you're like totally. throwing stuff and then it never, it's not like you get an objection or, or you get a no, it's there's just no walls. dead space. Yeah. yeah there's no it's wall. dead space. Yeah. So this is why, Sellers default to just like this sort of base animal instinct of just get attention. Oh, oh, oh. And like, that's what <laughs> it's like. That's really what outbound is today. It's just like mm. bang your chest and, you know, start making noises. And and some people will be like, hey, that guy's making noises. And you're like, hey, let me tell you about my B2B SaaS solution. Da, da, da. So it's really hard because it's like attention features. And those two things together are even if you get someone's attention the SaaS market specifically is so saturated, it's not like I haven't heard of any chatbot solution before. It's not those days. That's fascinating too, because I think the mistake that we see a lot in this, this early prep phase when it comes to research is like, well, <laughs> I, I've heard this recently, so it's top of mind. Well, our marketing department already built our personas, Jordan. We already know who we sell to. And it's like, well... <laughs> well, let me tell you about your marketing department. Your marketing department is not getting punched in the face. What your marketing department does is they'll set up the ring. They'll create the scorecards there. And they're like, this is the ring that you play in. And you show up and you're like, Mike Tyson is in the ring with me? Like... I mean, he hasn't practiced in a while, like, which is like maybe helpful, but like, I'm just going to like go for his knees. Like, I, like, I, you know, and so that's kind of what the marketing department is doing to you. They're like this. Don't worry. Don't worry. This is the ring. But you're the one that has to get punched in the face. Right. 
And so I would say a great way to test if marketing knows what they're talking about is saying, can you give me the recordings of when you built your case studies? Or go read the G2 reviews and the case studies. And you'll often notice that they're a little bit different. Someone's like, when we were using blah, 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 it didn't... Our tickets didn't come in, right? Like, And then all the landing pages are like about AI or something. And it's like, oh, well, actually, just they did a good job at preventing spam or something. Like, So yeah, that's the Delta... It's trust but verify, right? Like I, I hate to bring throw throw Reagan into this, but but that's well, the, that's the best. That's where we are today. <laughs> that's where so, we are today. Yeah. What, <laughs> when it comes to research, maybe we'll start here. What do you think, uh, or or what do you see as the most common thing that SDRs by themselves, maybe the entire sales teams, tend to miss in their research process? Like, what's the the thing that seems to crop up again and again? Well, this is all an understanding problem. The thing is that they want tactics. And so I see this, I mean, there, I know this um, CEO of a, a very famous data product. And I, I listen to this person post on social and I have had conversations and they say like, I need leads, I need leads. I need everyone in the world to use this thing. And now they're like throwing AI in their product. And it's like, there's no strategy behind it. And to have a good strategy, the thing is you can't, invent it in your head. It has to be anchored to something. So the biggest problem with targeting is people are looking for the next hack, the next trick. But if you understand why your customers bought and you understand how they're talking about it, you're going to have this like deep cut because you're going to have a pattern to be like, oh, well, when Jamie and I were chatting, she said that they just hired their third uh, support agent. And it turns out that after three support agents, their Zendesk plan quadrupled. And because of the economy, they had to switch. Like, And so you're going to hear stuff like that that is like, oh, interesting. Now you have a targeting hypothesis that came from someone who has spent you know 20 years in the field, working on things. They have a good intuition. And you just could never invent that story. Like You just couldn't do it. That's really interesting because I, I feel, and this is something I think a lot of uh, sellers and sales organizations run into, is that the SDRs and the account executives even aren't empowered to have the sorts of conversations with customers. So like you've mentioned G2 before. Where else can people find this sort of information? Or is it on the SDR to just go and call up a customer? and CSMs, go take out your customer support reps to dinner. Take like five of them out to dinner. And just be like, hey, just tell like tell me what customers are talking about. Tell me like what's going on. I did this trick with uh, many moons ago at a, when I was working a, a real job. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now I just run my business, which is different. But there was this engineering. I was I ran the support department. Engineering was stonewalling me. They're like, ah, it'll take a hundred years to get this done. And I'm like, the customers are so frustrated. So I went to this one engineer. I said, I, like I said, look, I have a proposal for you. I will take you out to a one Michelin star dinner if you will solve this. And like 30 minutes later, it, he just fixed it. <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. And then uh, like, long story short, someone came and presented a truffle, which you're supposed, they're like a $50,000 truffle. Like, oh, and wow. I went to, I like to, like, to grab it because I'm a, I'm a fucking, I'm an idiot and I don't <laughs> know what that stuff is. And my, my the, the engineer was French and he's like, Sacre bleu! What are you doing? <laughs> you know, like he was like, that is one cause worth some truffles, you know? And I was like, oh, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. I thought I was supposed to touch it. <laughs> so good. 
Well, everybody listening, make sure that you know Michelin one star restaurant behaviors before you take out your CSM. Yeah, <laughs> to, yeah, to yeah, a nice yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't touch the truffle. That's just my suggestion here. Yeah. So I suppose then, like from here, let's say I'm an SDR, Jordan, and I've looked through some G2 reviews and I kind of have a sense of like what people say about our product. And I've talked with my customer support manager. And I've gotten some good insights about like what customers are talking about and and maybe why they've bought, but maybe what they've struggled with. What am I actually supposed to be listening for? Or what am I actually supposed to be looking for? You've brought up jobs to be done before, but I've read through G2 reviews before. Not every G2 review talks about like, oh, this is so great sort of thing. So like, what are the things I'm supposed to be listening to or looking for in my research? Yeah, the two other things that or I just I want to give you a couple more primary sources. The first are your own case studies. Okay, okay. So like if there's recordings of those case studies, like go fetch those or transcripts, those are going to be gold. And generally you're looking for things like we were going to do X, but instead we did Y. Or we decided to go with this because it solved Z problem for us. And if you have the opportunity to have a conversation with a customer the best way to do this is to challenge why they bought. But Freshdesk, Morgan, has the same stuff. Why would you buy from us? But Gladly does this today. And actually, their AI is better than ours. And they're like, oh, okay, well, actually... And then they're going to say, like, well, Jessica on our team had bought it in the past, and she had a really good experience. And one time, the customer support rep went above and beyond to solve this problem for us. And they did like an integration. And you're like, oh, okay. It's those stories that exist beneath the covers that you want to uncover uh, that will... I'm going to torture this metaphor, but that's where the treasure lies, under the covers. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so that's kind of what you need to do. But you know, I'm happy to transition this conversation now and, and actually... Oh, there's, sorry. There's one other first party place, which is go to your G2 category and then read through all of the marketing pages and case studies of your competitors. And so when we go through this exercise of targeting, which um, which I've done for, I don't know, four apps here in the customer CX space that you, um, that you gave me some homework, I'm going to do this just based on what competitors say. And th this is a mature market. So competitors is a fine lens. This is not the lens I would use if you were starting a brand new, like if you were in an Airbnb time where the thing didn't exist and... So I'm starting with this lens of competitors matter when you're choosing a customer support software. And so you really want to understand what do your competitors think their differentiator is so you can lean into your differentiator. So it's not going to be as good as if you understood all that first primary research because I don't in those shoes, but I'm going to do exactly what I just advised against, which is I'm, we're going to throw some spaghetti at the wall with my best understanding of the universe here at this time. I'm into it. I'm glad that uh, we've laid this foundation. So just to repeat, obviously, G2 reviews, case studies, actually talking with customers are all great primary sources for understanding customers and why they've bought. One last thing before we dive into these examples that I asked you to uh, prepare with a little bit of homework. You sort of brought up competition. So to me, there's sort of this like larger like market thing as well. So like if the customer is the individual, the market is sort of like the macro trend. How much attention do you pay to the market trends or, or what's going on in the market as a part of this research process? Or is that something you just sort of like uncover as you go to sort of see what's out in the world? Or are you doing anything intentional at a macro level? Well, 
the market level stuff is really interesting. And if I think about my business, which is a little bit different than where these companies are, my key value is that the stuff that you hear from me sounds like nothing else that anyone is talking about. And it's because I have a contrarian view on the world about what sales should be and how like, for example, my contrarian view of targeting is you shouldn't target by companies and then send messages to them. You should target by problems and find companies that have the most intense versions of those problems. We just have never been able to do that. So I have a product that will take my 2.5 million jobs. You can search them with an embeddings API and an embeddings um, ML model and find the jobs that like talk the most about social selling. So who are the companies right now that are like, oh my gosh, we're all in on social selling, which is a much better target from you than companies in Norway between 10 and 50 employees who are on right. LinkedIn and, you know, and who like toothbrushes. So I do think very heavily, yeah, the, the pink ones, especially, I think very heavily about these like macro level trends, especially I'm obsessed with AI and who, I guess, who isn't obsessed with AI, but this technology is vastly understood <laughs> by everyone. I ask it today to decode a LinkedIn URL and repeat back all the targeting inside the URL. You know, have you seen those SalesNav URLs with all the like crazy, like GPT-4 is like, here you go. It's 10 to 100 employees. Here are all the titles. Like, what? Like, I know like every time I ask it to pretend you're Leonardo da Vinci and write me a software program and it like created the Vitruvian sketch. And so... Yeah, it's one of these things where we're just, it's like if you spent the next five years of your life just having conversations with AI, you would probably just get 10% of what's possible with this tool. And so this is like an example of a, of a market trend that will have like sweeping consequence to the way that we do everything. And it's just starting to happen. You can see like all of the recent YC class was like, it's like walking, but with AI. It's like dogs, but with AI, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like people are like, oh, what if I just slapped AI on something new? Which is like, I don't know. It's probably not like a terrible idea. But yes, I do think very heavily about like macro market trends and how... And this is where new start... When like this huge wave comes, this is where... And you can see this if you look at like Freshdesk, for example, didn't talk almost at all about AI. Where like Tidy was like, AI this and AI, what if AI could, you know, it's like, stop selling your product, AI product, you know. So it's like, I think that that's the opportunity here is to say like, we thought from the very beginning of what would an AI powered um, experience be like. Awesome. That's great to hear too, just because I know like, of all of these little tidbits, things that people think about, I think too often SDRs in particular get sort of bottlenecked or I don't know what the right sort of term here is, but it's really forced into thinking strictly about messaging to break through to book a first meeting. And the truth is, as you pointed out, there's a whole lot of other things that are going on that you need to be aware of in order to either articulate that message, but first to target and understand the kinds of problems that you solve for the customers that you want to sell to, uh, which is so crucial. Yeah, I would say like, let me even like lower the bar because we've been talking in space. Sure. Let's like an SDR today, right now, if when I get a message from an SDR, nine times out of 10, I roll my eyes, which is just like, hey, Jordan, do you need B2B leads for market generation? And I'm like, no. And it actually doesn't matter what you say. It actually doesn't matter what speeds and feeds are. And it almost doesn't matter if I need those speeds and feeds because I'm like, oh, speeds and feeds. Like oh, more speeds and feeds, you know, it's like, and so I think that the, if an SDR approached me and said, 
even something interesting about the market and said, hey, Jordan, our customers were playing around with AI. And what they found is that actually it's really good for if you like train it on returns and it can do that really well. But when we ask it to like do this other thing, it lied to people, you know, right. like <laughs> someone sent me a message where it, it, SDRs will use like icebreaker lines. And so someone sent me a someone that you, that used this and said, hi, Fiona. I don't know if you know this, but Fiona means white. That must be why you so pale. What? <laughs> they like, what? Like, uh, any, anyway, it's not a lot like, and then it just like would. And so of course the process is like, uh, uh, and so this is the trap of like, of saying, I'm going to surf the wave, but I don't know where I'm going or I don't have any first principle thinking. So all you have to do is the SDRs, like give me some insight that your customers have or some insight about your product or even the market. The market is like, this ever moving force that if you can speak to someone and you actually have something interesting about the market, even that you've just read or summarized from anyone else, I'm going to pay attention to you. Mm -hmm. All right. So besides jobs to be done and these three primary sources in leveraging, understanding these trends, and is there anything else you wanted to cover briefly thinking wise before we got into these, these case studies or these uh, examples I asked you to prepare? Anything else important that's top of mind to know? Just that take everything I say with a grain of salt. Alan Watts has this quote is that really the nature of Zen is a finger pointing at the moon. And instead of looking at the moon, people suck on the finger. And so I want to be very clear that your first tendency is to be like, I'm going to go implement that. But this is more think about it as a thought process that you can apply to your prospecting and Again, if you're not anchored to anything and get some anchor, it doesn't matter. Spend a day. Like you don't have to spend too much time. Get some anchor because then you're going to at least be in the right galaxy when you're prospecting. You may not be in the right like planetary system, but at least start in the right galaxy. I like it. We're sticking with the noodle flying through space analogy today. <laughs> yeah. I'm into it. Great. <laughs> All right. So shall we dive in? I'm going to let you lead the way on this part of the conversation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we looked at Tidio Gladly caffeinated CX and fresh deaths. So, and you probably heard of most of these except caffeinated CX, which is just, it's a AI tie-in to Zendesk. And so you can look at the, this is the live to the live chat G2 category. So if y'all want to, I'm sure you'll put in the show notes. So let's talk about Tidio. So I think that the two key differentiators that I saw from this tool is free forever. So, which is like weirdly always this like good lever to throw. Surprisingly, PLG is super, super, super nascent. People think like all these companies that have started in PLG, I was looking at some data, we scored hundreds of thousands of websites and there's like 1700 like true PLG companies wow. in like hundreds of thousands of websites. So there's not like a lot. And the fact that all these people are like catering to it, I think we're at the kind of Newton of PLGs at this moment but that's neither here nor there. They have sort of a free forever plan. So the benefit of a free forever plan is that you can go after people before they technically need your tool. You can say, sign into this thing. Don't worry. Like, I know you don't have a customer support agent, right? So that is like a land grab thing. And I can link this in the show notes, but I did some outbound work for a company called Testbox that surveyed like 200 customer support leaders. And then what we did is we looked at historical installs of all these software technologies. 
And so, you know, it turns out like tools like Trengo, Gorgeous, Zoho Desk, HubSpot, Help Scout, they're all installed in the earlier days, right? Zero to 50 employees, right? And then as you like get into these larger companies, so Zendesk, Freshdesk, like Salesforce Service Cloud, you almost didn't install it until you had a thousand employees. Because of course, it's like a gigantically expensive thing, right? So thinking about where I would want to play as Tidio, I would want to try to get people super early, get them installed as like early as possible. And then the other thing that they talk about is sales upsells. It's like in their messaging a lot, which I think this is a great opportunity to be like, hey, our tool can pay for itself. And the way that you do that is you need to figure out like who, and I couldn't quite tell from their website, but like who has the most opportunity with sales upsells? So, and this is a good question where you can go to your marketing department or or your data team and say, hey, who is like getting the most benefit from sales upsells? Can you just give me the list of domains? Like this is a quick question to ask. You don't have to have a conversation with anyone. You can look at that and say, oh, it's e-commerce companies. Interesting. Okay, but what kind of e-commerce? Well, it's e-commerce companies that sell whole outfits. So you're like, ah, okay, so no one's going to want to buy just a left shoe. They want a left shoe and a right shoe. And so there's an upsell opportunity there, you know? So you're going to find a little bit more of that of that nuance in some of the data. And that's what you're going to want to... And the nice thing is if you have that data from your customers, you can say a message like, hey, Jordan, when company X installed us, their cross sales went from A to B. And like, it looks like you don't have a product recommendation engine on your site. So maybe live chat is a great place to do product upsells, right? So that's like an example that I just made up that you would dive into the data and you could see who is getting money from upsells. And can you kind of understand if they're covering their cost? Is there a way where the tool pays for itself, which is like, that's like, hey, I can print you money. And you know, you can't just say that, but like, if I could print you money and here's how these other people printed money in this specific way, like, and also reduce your customer support tickets with that. And my guess is that the Gladleys of the world, the fresh desk of the world are not going to market with like, how can I make you money? They're like a support tool. It's like, I can save you time. I can save you, reduce your AHT. So those are the two things free forever, go like low into the market as early as possible. How can I get someone in and be like, and the segment for startups did this where they're like, you get segment for free, everything, everything, everywhere, all at once for two years. And then sales upsells, I would really kind of lean to that. And I'm doing this kind of scoring for the market too. So like you can look at who are companies that discount right now, because those are the folks that are more likely to like discount and give an upsell. Like what types of product or impulse buys where you're just like, oh, I'll just buy this thing. Like, or who has free shipping offers? So those are like the types of data points that you can look for to identify good fit targets. What's so interesting, and this is sort of tying the toothbrush analogy we started off with, and then even just the way you started to articulate messaging towards a specific example, e-commerce store that sells whole outfits, for example, is that the message itself becomes a function of your research and your targeting. And I feel like if there was anything I really wanted to hammer home out of this conversation, it was exactly that. Because I feel so often, obviously, Fiona and the whole white hook, which is hilarious and also weird, is probably too often how sellers do messaging because they don't know what else to say. But I would assume, given out of just this first example, one of the reasons that sellers don't necessarily know what to say is they don't know who they're actually targeting and why. And even if it's just here are some data points to put together, right, to inform it. 
And the most important thing is that is not hooked to anything else. So it's like you have the fishing pole and you're hooked to the fish, but you're not on a pier. And so you're just like going around the ocean. It's like, well, what are you going to do? You've got great. You've got the fish and you're now it's like pulling you around in the water. Like, so it's like before you can anchor the like, okay, great. Now we have like a problem that is anchored to like, like investigation that's like anchored to a problem. But now you need to be anchored against like what customers care about. And like, that's where you have to start in the first place. Otherwise, you're just going to say things. And that's why you see these whole like, if I could just get an icebreaker line, if I get icebreaker, I want to break the ice. And it's like, it's ice. There's no fish under ice. I mean, I don't know. That's that's probably not true. But like, (laughs) in my metaphor, it's true. So it's like, that's the way that I'm thinking about it is like, there is nothing specific you can say if you have no specific knowledge, which is the problem. That's a great example. All right. Is that all on Tidio? Did I did I cut you off too early? Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, and I think that like the other thing that you can do to cheat here is just do a feature scoring, which is like they connect with Instagram, Messenger, live chat, email inboxes. So one thing that you might do is if you go download all the kind of e-commerce companies that seem to be good fits or whatever their tar- their kind of target market is, you can just have an outsourcer score for that stuff. So it's like, okay, I may not know what to say to them, I may not know exactly who to target, but I know that they align with all the features that I have, which probably gets you in the right universe. Like you're at least in the Milky Way now. It's like you may not be closer to Earth, but like you're at least not in the Andromeda galaxy if you see someone that is that uses all of your features. Um, so yeah, we, we can move on to Gladly if you like. Yep, on to Gladly. Great. So really, Gladly, unlike anyone else that I looked at here, has some like seriously differentiated features. They might be the 800 pound grill. I'd never heard of them before, but it feels like on their website, they've been around since the 80s. It's always funny pulling up a site that's been clearly like articulated for a certain kind of customer. And it does feel like they're selling to a more legacy audience than the startup world. Yeah, totally. Right. They're not like, hey, we threw some AI on it. You want to buy my thing? And they're like, there's like no AI anywhere in this thing. It's like, it was like, uh, well, who needs AI? You know? <laughs> so like the guy's like smoking. Wait, this is wait, this is cigars. Which is this is weed. This is cigars. Uh, what's uh, what's like? What, I don't no, know. That's something. <laughs> I think it's like a, a full like three. Finger full, oh, thing. this is cigar. Yeah. Three fingers cigar. Yeah. OK, so like a eh, cigar. So if I look through all of their descriptions, they talk about like IVR and my favorite feature was this people match feature. So if I come back to a site and I'm like, hey, I like these, the toothbrush was pink. What the fuck, man? They're like, I get a chat with the same agent that I had chatted with previously. And it's Whoa. like, what? It's like, hey, Jordan, what's going on? How's the how's the new car coming? Are you, you know, you get that haircut you talked about last time? That's like, whoa. That's like a, an experience. You're like, shit. You know, it's like Comcast is this big, huge, massive entity. Like, what are the odds? I'm going to go chat with Jessica again. Like, so there's just like, that's like a super slick thing. And so the first thing I'm thinking of is like, where is that going to like hugely matter? And my guess is it's like in luxury goods or where you're not having, you know, if you can buy boba anywhere, you're like, oh, I'm chatting with the person that could help me with my, you know, like, uh, whatever. But if you're, you know, if you're buying a $300 wetsuit and it's like a bespoke, like there's this jeans company called Telesyn jeans that are like these just like really nice and like Levi's try to buy them. And they're like, man, we believe in things. We can't sell to you. You know, it's like, those are the people <laughs> that like, <laughs> that's like what always people say when they don't say, oh, we believe in things. So that's like a good example of someone that's like, hey, Jordan, 
like where the personalization experience is going to contribute to your $600 purchase of jeans that you could get for $25, you know, elsewhere. So like, that's what I would kind of focus on. And there are other things that they can do to like multilingual is I would go look for like the global, like if you've been to I'm going to say a thing and I know the answer is no, but if you've been to the John Deere website, Morgan Smith, um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I could tell you, I could tell you for sure when I got on this call, I was like, I I bet, I bet my life savings. Morgan Smith is not on the John Deere website. And he's like, you know what? I could go for some farming. But on the, on John, there's like a specific piece of knowledge. The John Deere website has like a choose your location and it has like, you know, Swahili and it's got like all these like, and, and so you can imagine that if gladly can kind of understand, okay, well, who are the people that someone's going to, or someone may come in at 12 midnight local time and they want support in another language, like you've instantly dis or you've eventually differentiated yourself from any of these other people that can do, especially if you think about combinations of languages, so that's like an obvious one to me. Voice and IVR. So there's a website called Get Human that will tell you like, here's the six prompts to like get to a human. It's like zero, zero, one, four, one. It's like a binary code. And so the crazier numbers you have to push to get to a human, like the probably better fit they are for Gladly. Like, oh, they have a really complicated. And this is where you can do some inversion thinking too. Like you could do like this Google search that this isn't the right website, but like sitebbb.org, type this literally exact thing into Google, sitebbb.org, and then in quotes, took forever, and then type in customer support. So people are going to say, it took forever to reach customer support, right? And then like add like in quotes, like on the phone. So now you kind of have, um, uh, and if you're doing this kind of in a manual way, you sort of have people that are like, and then like throwing the word Swahili in there too. So it's like, it took forever to reach Swahili support. You're like, oh, wow, that's like a perfect person for me. And this is like another kind of hack where you can bring a customer's message to, this is where if you don't understand your customer, but you've hacked your customer's customer and can bring that information to your customer, it's like, you know, it's like- We just inception. got a whole house of yeah. cards yeah, yeah, of yeah, customers yeah, yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, I know yeah, yeah. it's like, it's like, yeah, oh my yeah. God, I just described the movie Tenet. I like, I can watch it and I don't, <laughs> it's the same backwards, like what? So that's like something I might look at. They talk about in-app chat. So I'm like, oh, okay, do you have an app, right? Or like knowledge base, are they investing in their knowledge base? Do they have, and so you can kind of say, well, multi, and this is like the hacking approach where if you don't really know your customers, it's like you can start to build up who are the, who are the universe of people that do this a lot and or that have a lot of things that fresh text can't touch just because you have been building forever and ever and ever and ever. And those are your people. And then you need a wedge once you have that kind of understanding. And that wedge can be what the customer's customer said about some failure of their current tool, et cetera. The last thing I will say is you can look at the install date of their current solution and built with has this data. So you can kind of know that it's in nine months, they're in a buying cycle from that install date. So in, in increments of nine months, they're likely to be able to switch. You know, what's so interesting about what you all just laid out, which is brilliant, by the way, is even though it feels a bit of a house of cards or a weird chain of customers and customers of customers and so forth, is being able to surface the voice of their customer in your outreach or in your discussions with the stakeholder, not only is just doing your own homework, but it can be a really powerful way to help them see their own problem differently. Because like, 
the number of executives I think both you and I have interacted with, they're not reading G2 reviews on a Saturday. Like maybe they'll hear about it. You know, maybe they'll have an experience with a customer that they thought was fixed and then it wasn't fixed. Or maybe it's not rolled out yet. Or maybe the fix that they had isn't as good as they thought it would be. And here you, the seller, can take all of this information on this other company and resurface those same concerns to those stakeholders as a part of your research and targeting and messaging process. And I feel like it's a nice tactic, but it really works because of the strategy you're putting in place of who you're targeting and why, and why those prospects need to be your customers. Excuse me. Yeah. I mean, and I deploy this all the time. When I get a cold email, like Strike Graph has sent me uh, three or four cold emails in the last sort of couple weeks, and they're asking me about compliance. I'm a dude. Like a customer <laughs> asks me, do you have SOC 2 compliance? I'm like, left SOC, right SOC, SOC 2. I'm SOC 2 compliant. And that worked. Like weirdly, they're like, all right, all right, sounds good. I don't need what they have. So they they can message me as often as they want. And so actually what I'll do is I'll get that message and I'll go to the VP of sales and like, yo, you're targeting me. I'm a dude. Dudes don't have ISO 2700. Like, why are you targeting me? You're not even in the Andromeda galaxy. You're uh, you're off close to where the Big Bang started. You're like, you're in the black hole of bad targeting. Well, and I love that lesson because it's like, you offer targeting as a service and, and consulting in that work. You are observing a problem as it happens. You're on the, re on the receiving end of clearly this targeting doesn't work. I'm going to take evidence that this problem exists, turn it around into outreach and strike up a conversation saying, well, if chances are I'm on your list, there's a bunch of other people who are probably on your list that shouldn't be there. And this needs to, this should be fixed if you want to save XYZ or solve XYZ problem, you know? Yeah. One thing that I'm working on too is being able to do that near instantly. And what I mean by that is not only identifying that problem, but responding with a better targeted list with messaging and leads. So it's like, hey, Morgan, I saw that, you know, that Larry on your team sent me this message. I didn't seem to be the right prospect for you. But what I've done is I've put together a list of companies that are actively working on ISO 2700 right now. And it seemed like if you targeted me, the founder, it seems like you after founders, here's a list of founders of those companies. I hope this is a better way for you to prospect. Love that. Ah, man, I can't wait for you to roll that out. <laughs> you're you're <first>. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, we're actually going to we're going to take our entire like I'm getting a secret sauce, but like we have 2.5 million jobs in our database right now and we're using this embeddings model which is it basically, you know, a universe analogy it creates this like 3D word globe. So if you if you ask it a, like a question of like lunch, it will give you back words like cheeseburger and salad and and if you ask it a, and like but like a word like car is like further away. And a word like sleep is even for, well, I guess you have sleep if you have lunch, but if you have a cheeseburger lunch. So we'll be able to programmatically provide you good leads with AI ahead of time. So it's like, Morgan Smith, you do social selling without ever chatting with me. I've already built you a page of the top 10 jobs that talk the most about social selling in the 2.5 million jobs. Do you want to sign up for my product? So that's kind of what I'm working on. So cool. Love that. That's pretty wild. All right, so that was gladly, yes. Shall we move on to, is it Caffeinated CX next? Yeah, let's start there. So Caffeinated CX is a Zendesk plugin, which just eliminates 
all these other bad options. So they're an earlier, earlier company. So it's like, great. So now you don't have to like displace Zendesk, which is a sneaky, sneaky, sneaky play, right? They're like, oh, they're the 800 pound gorilla. Freshdesk can't, I mean, if, if you're five months into a Zendesk contract, Freshdesk has no chance, right? They're like, we signed a contract. They made us give up their third child so that we couldn't, they got all the money ahead of time. Like we're we're under lock and key, right? So Caffeine and CX like, oh, I want you to keep to Zendesk, but maybe throw a little AI, huh? Zendesk doesn't have enough AI. What about some more AI on top of Zendesk, right? Like, oh, you know. So, <laughs> so like it becomes way easier because like you instantly have your known lit, like your 100% known list of customers from Built With, right? So now you want to find workflows. You want to understand who are doing things in the worst workflow ways inside of Zendesk, which sort of before AI, that was the way that people thought like, oh, okay, well, you get a ticket, it's assigned, and, and, and then Bobby has to take care of it because about this. And so, so it's like AI can just kill a lot of that. And it's like, well, look, here's the return location. Here you go. Bye. Help yourself. So I would look at like, who has really terrible self-service workflows and lots of traffic. And then I might even contact people that used to work and support at those organizations and be like, hey, Morgan, I know that used to work at blah, 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 Zendesk. Like, like, was it hard to triage tickets? Like, like if you fill out the survey, I'll pay you five bucks or something. And then you have you have knowledge that doesn't exist anywhere on the internet. It's like, hey, I was chatting with Bobby uh, a week ago who used to work at your company. And he was saying that your support workflow is like X, right? Or the other thing they can do is actually go and contact. Built With has all like the support emails. So go like write them and ask a, questions about returns and just see what that workflow looks like. It's like, okay, well... And sometimes in the, you know, Zendesk has this like weird, like add robot text around. It's like, blah, 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 has updated your ticket. I don't know why they do that. But uh, so like, that's like a good thing that you can kind of now understand, okay, they use Zendesk, they have a complicated workflow, look in their jobs. Of course, you can see the customer support agent jobs are like, you'll be responsible for triaging tickets and caffeinated CX like, no one should triage tickets like the AI should triage tickets. Like if they use words like die on a short hill or in a shallow grave, like then we need to like, this is more important because they're upset. So that's what I would do for them. And what's so interesting, I think, now that we're at this third example, I think it's really important to bring up this idea, which is at each one of these stages, you know, we've talked a lot about product and feature sets at each of these companies as if we were sellers for these companies. But the point isn't about the product or the feature, which I feel is like what people lean on a lot yeah. when they articulate messaging. It's like, what does that product or feature do for the customer? What problem is that actually solving for them? And it's not like at the end of the day for Gladly, Multilingual support's nice, but if you're not a multilingual company or if you're not a global company, it doesn't matter all that much. Yeah. And even if you came to somebody and said, hey, we do multilingual support, you're a multilingual company, that doesn't mean anything. But if they are struggling with some of the things that you laid out for Gladly or for Caffeinated CX, you're targeting a Zendesk company with you know, some broken customer support workflows that you figured out through some investigative work. That makes the feature itself a lot more powerful to the prospect without actually centering the feature in the messaging. It's all about what it can do for the prospect. It's all about what yeah. the product can do. Yeah, and this circles back to our toothbrush analogy here, which is like, you think that people are like, well, people like pink because it's differentiated. Like, no, it's to ward off spouses. And that's like, right. no one would ever. So it's like, that's like a weird thing, right? Like, like no one's, but your prospects are like, oh, I have tried 
everything to get my wife to stop using my toothbrush. Like she just won't do it. And so I had to like ward her off. So this was the, I tried Harry Potter toothbrushes. Like she was into that. Like, and so that's the thing that you need to kind of keep in mind is this is what you're talking about is like solution selling. Here's my solution. Like, here's how I can. But I think that you need to understand, like, even if someone technically has Swahili support, if no one is calling in uh, or messaging in from Swahili, it doesn't matter. Like, so you need to like look for something that's like, well, a lot of French users are upset. Okay. That's like the customer's customer thing, which is this like good hack. You don't have to do this yourself. You should think about your salary as a means to accomplish a goal. And especially if you have comp that is associated with value, hire an outsourcer. All you have to do is, and weirdly enough, AI is spectacular at this. I asked GPT-4, build me a list of B2B influencers that are not so big that they won't take my call, that post often on LinkedIn, that are willing to meet new founders, give me their LinkedIn URL and descriptions about them. And it's like Sujin Patel. I'm like, yeah, damn, Sujin Patel is like yeah. perfect. He meets this. He's like, well, semi-famous, but he's not so famous that, I mean, he's not Elon Musk. Like, so it's like, he's going to take my call. Or Kyle Lacey. I'm like, Kyle Lacey is a total guy that would like take my. And so there are ways to use AI and outsourcers to make this like research process way easier. And all you need to do is I don't know, send 200 of these types of emails and then go to your leadership and like, this works. I need money to scale this. I have been taken on my own pocket. Love that. Man, that is a clarion call for anybody who is uh, comped on overall deal size, especially. Yeah. All right. We've got through our first three. We've got one more. Is this the actual 800-pound gorilla in the room today? <laughs> oh, Freshdesk. Well, yeah, pro probably. I think that Freshdesk, the one thing that I kind of came to understand about them is that they seem to be good with these like mobile field service companies and folks that hmm. might use the whole suite. So they talk about upsells too. So like that might be like HVAC companies. You go and you're like, hey, I need an air conditioner. You're like, hey, you know, your uh, other HVAC thing is broken too. I can uh, sign you up right here. I don't know why they sound like that, but anyone that's working on HVAC has a funny voice in my head. So that's like, <laughs> that's like an example of something that they're like for these mobile service companies that they seem to be kind of geared to help with that. And also they can start install tooling around them, right? So that's going to be mm. probably more evergreen than B2B SaaS, right? Where you're competing against Zendesk and da da da. But if you have the ability to like do things out in the field really quickly and you have workflows, I would really figure out like, who has like the most upsell potential from like a niche industry where they're like going and meeting in customers where they have high ACVs, like average contract values. And that like the home services vertical seemed like a pretty, pretty ripe here. So that's what I would kind of say is like these, like who can win at like $2,200 transactions instead of $220,000 transactions. Love it. Well, Jordan, I feel like one, I just got a masterclass in how to do this. Uh, so thank you. Sure, sure. <laughs> I'm going to turn around some of these insights for ourselves. Oh, great. You should. Yeah. But also, I imagine that anybody listening to this might have some questions, uh, some follow-on stuff. If they do, where should they go? How should they reach you? Sure. It's my first name, J-O-R-D-A-N at blueprintgtm.com. Feel free to email me. And I'm like all up in LinkedIn. Like that's my like... Uh, <laughs> So I'm just LinkedIn slash in slash Jordan Crawford. I got my name. That's how like, got LinkedIn name. gave me. I know. I know I got my name. Wow. So 
I also own jordancrawford.com, which doesn't go to anywhere right now, I don't think. But like, I think that the, there's like this rising basketball player and he wasn't so popular that he knew to buy his name yet. So, so I was like, I was very happy with that purchase. <laughs> <laughs> You're waiting to get the call. You're like, I want my name. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He destroyed my Google search results. I was really upset. He dunked on LeBron James. And I'm like, shit, of course, that's like more impressive than anything I've ever done. I mean, you dunk on LeBron James. so (laughs) That's amazing. Jordan Crawford, thank you for coming on the B2B Power Hour. I feel not only well-educated after today's conversation, but I also think that from the examples there's so much that an individual seller can take out of this. So I just want to close out last question that I like to ask right now. What do you think is the top thing expert sellers do when it comes to research that the novices don't? It's probably turning what they find works into a process that is scalable. So the way that I always talk about this is don't figure out how to scale something, figure out the very best email that you could write and then reverse into the scale. So the best sellers are those that have a system to try the low scaled stuff very rapidly with outsources, et cetera. And then they build a path to scale. And so those are those two things uh, in combination are what the best sellers do to because then they have a reliable system. So they have a way to test things at low scale to see if they work and then a reliable system to take what's working at low scale and scale it. Man, that's some deep wisdom right there. I love it. <laughs> well, thanks again, uh, Jordan. Thanks great for to have me. you here. And I will, I'm sure we'll have you back for, to get your cigar jacket for five times. I'm, I'm waiting. Yeah. With the three fingers. Yeah. So <laughs> three fingers. Yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> thanks, thanks Morgan. Thanks for having me. Hey, we know how hard implementing this stuff is. That's why this podcast exists. We decided to take it a step further and start the OneUp Club to give you the frameworks and resources you need to move the dial in 2023. Learn more at b2bpowerhour.com/join. Because we know you have a quota and you can't afford to wait.